Ever wonder why 95% of leads do not convert? Why cold call rates are down and prospects don't open our emails? Why our responses of robocalls and implanting pixels to track user interaction, mostly without permission, is backfiring spectacularly? Well, that's what we intend to find out here in the Buyerside Chat podcast. There are scores of podcasts about selling, but most miss the shift that has come upon the buying selling process. The initiative has since moved from the supply to the demand side. The Buyer Side Chat, your podcast of record for B2B buying, talks to actual buyers, persons, not personas, in the quest to understand the real buyer's journey, their trials and tribulations, challenges and outcomes they're striving for. Welcome to the Buyer Side Chat. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Today we have with us Philip Eidson, the founder and managing director of Art of Procurement. Art of Procurement provides procurement leaders with insights, resources and expertise they need to drive company growth. Most things that an organization buys they don't buy it every single day. You know, they'll be buying it once every three years or once every five years or, you know, whatever the time frame is. And so you look at the ROI on having your own internal expertise in that. Most companies, and again, there's always those that are outliers, you know, the biggest companies in the world, they can afford to have somebody who's an expert in, in everything that they buy. Most, most companies can't, so they'll just have generalists. Those journalists don't have access to all the market insights and data to actually help them make those decisions. And that access, that data can be expensive. Um, And so I think it's just a natural way that the community comes together or a group of people come together to help each other when they don't have all the information. Meet Philip Eidson, the founder and managing director of Art of Procurement. Art of Procurement provides procurement leaders with the insights, resources and expertise they need to drive company growth. Prior to Art of Procurement, Philip led procurement transformation, category management, and sourcing programs for clients of Accenture. Previously, Philip was head of international procurement, sourcing, and third-party risk management at Ally Financial. Now, onto this exciting conversation with Philip Eidson. Philip, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have you here, and I'm glad that we could connect, given our time difference and all that. Welcome. Not at all. I really really appreciate you inviting me on the show, uh, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Tell us a bit about yourself and the work you are doing at Art of Procurement. I think uh, you'll bring a very different view to what uh, mm-hmm. conversations I've been having so far. Absolutely. So uh, from a personal perspective, you know, I'm a 20-year procurement professional. Um, I've pretty much worked in everything that there is to do within the procurement value chain, I would say, both on the direct materials perspective and the indirect procurement. So whether that's being a buyer, um, whether it's being a team lead, uh, whether it's in supply chain risk management, sourcing, category management, and all the way up to a head of procurement. Um, so I've done that on the practitioner side, and then I moved over to the provider side and did a lot of consulting around the, the space of procurement outsourcing. Uh, procurement transformation. And so what I want to do with, uh, with Art of Procurement is, you know, as you're looking now at technology is welcoming and changing the face of what procurement is. Again, if you resist that, it's going to be really hard for you to have a good career in procurement. So I wanted to open people's eyes. I wanted to inspire them 
to um, to think about change and doing things differently and just rethink the value proposition that they could have for their business. So we do it through a podcast, we do it through a membership community, we do it through some consulting as well. And tell me, how do you see the role of the buyer in the B2B mm-hmm. side, in a B2B transaction, yep. the role of the buyer? How has it changed actually in the last 20 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, my start, I was very fortunate that my start was in an automotive company who uh, invested a lot in strategic procurements. That was Ford Motor Company at the time. So they were really advanced. And interestingly enough, you know, 20 years later, I still see a lot of organizations that still aren't as advanced as what we were, um, you know, all those years ago. But from a profession perspective, I'd say, you know, 20 years ago when I got started, Mostly procurement was about um, being transactional and being tactical. So what that meant is, you know, looking at a deal and looking at it as a uh, one very specific thing, not really taking into account the big picture. You know, how do I negotiate the best deal? How do I make sure that what I need gets to where it needs to be? Um, How do I make sure that the quality is good enough and appropriate enough? And then basically, how do I firefight for everybody when things go wrong? Um, you know, when you look at the leading organizations today, 20 years on, the role of the buyer is, you know, very different. It's much more of a commercial role, uh, at a general business role, I would say, um, that's focused on relationships and kind of architect, like looking at challenges, like business challenges and business problems and trying to architect solutions to those using a supply base, as opposed to here's a spec or here's a, uh, a scope of work, go and buy it. How do you see the sales role, so the role of the vendor? So obviously this whole value transaction has two parts to it, and Mm -hmm. what we just spoke about is the buyer side. Uh, How has the role of the salesperson changed, or how has the environment changed which actually impacts the salesperson? It's interesting, because I think from a sales perspective, you know, I think buyers, and I use the buyer not in the procurement sense, but in, you know, somebody within an organization who wants to buy something, are a lot more informed today. You know, you look at the buyer journey today versus where it was 20 years ago. You know, a buyer journey today is go out and research. You know, you have a challenge. You go and look outside to see how you can solve that challenge. And then once you have a good idea of how you think you want to solve it, then you start to talk to people. Whereas 20 years ago, it was, you know, here's a rep who is trying to arrange meetings you know, from cold calls with as many people as possible to sell a product. And the buyer wasn't really informed to know the whole scope of what the alternatives were. They just knew if they heard something from a salesperson, yeah, this sounds like something I wanted or no, it's not. And so then they would throw that over to procurement. and It would be kind of procurement's job to tell them in, in context of whether what they were hearing from this one organization was, you know, something really interesting or, you know, one of many, um, as opposed to today, they already know what they want before they really even talk to sales. Um, so I think that that makes from a sales perspective, it's a lot more of a consultative educational um, process than it is selling a product and selling features and selling benefits. According to you, in today's environment, what does, uh, at what stage Mm-hmm. Can the salesperson expect to get injected into the the flow, uh, and and yeah. not to forget that they are not the only person who are getting in. So the buyer is not talking to them alone. Uh, right. Most probably, they are talking to five of their competitors at the same time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when when yeah. does it happen? Hmm. I think it it differs depending on who is leading that outreach. 
you know, is that the, the buyer in the sense of the, the line of business, the stakeholder, the user is doing it, or is it somebody within the procurement function who's been tasked with doing it? Um, you know, if it's somebody that is in the, um, it's the stakeholder, then they've probably done a bit of research. They like what they see on the website. Maybe they've been referred by some, somebody, a peer or a colleague, and they've entered a, you know, into a contact form. And they may only be having conversations with that one buyer at the moment because they're just trying to educate themselves and they have reason why they want to contact that one provider. But, you know, if it's a procurement person, procurement person is probably reaching out blind to four, five, six different people. Um, maybe they're doing one just to get some initial research, but they're going to expand that to multiple um, providers um, so they can get a bigger picture. So I'd say from a sales perspective, you know, if you have a business user reaching out to you, there's probably much more chance that you're, it's just you that they've reached out to, or maybe it's a very, very small handful of people they've reached out to. If it's a procurement person that's reached out to you, it's probably they've reached out to many different people at the same time. I, I see multiple versions of the buyer's journey today. I mean, starting mm-hmm. from seven steps to 10 steps to 13 steps and all that. Yeah. And by and large, all of them say that the vendor comes into the picture pretty much post 60 to 70% of the stages because right. you really are try, starting with can we solve it ourselves to is this going to cause change management, who is going to do it, all those decision making, getting all stakeholders on board, allocating budget, potentially if you are investing in say in ERP for the first time, you are possibly deciding this year that we are going to invest this half a million dollar next year. Uh, so it's not yeah. even going to be immediate uh, by any stretch right so i would i would say that if it's a state if it's a stakeholder that's doing that they're going to be reaching out a lot lot sooner in the process because they're they don't know what they don't know mm-hmm. so they're they're kind of on an information hunting and gathering right. like they have no idea really what the cost would be mm-hmm. um so it's probably pre-budget that they're reaching out to somebody whereas if it's somebody in procurement who's in control of the process then you know, they're more likely to follow a more defined process, you know. And again, it depends on the maturity of the organization. You know, if it's a relatively low maturity procurement group, they're probably reaching out just like the stakeholder is. If it's a higher maturity, there's going to be a lot more time spent on the making sure we've got some kind of budget, making sure that there's a need, like all the make-buy stuff that you talked about. Kind of the bigger category strategy perspective is done before you start doing your outreach, um, at least on a deal-by-deal basis. So it's probably a good it's a good tell as to what the maturity of the organization is that you're working with is when they're reaching out to you. How natural is it for an organization to first reach out to an external resource? For example, yeah. we have never bought ERP. We need to understand yeah. we are an automotive company. We are producing 100,000 cars in yeah. Africa or wherever, or in India for that matter. And we have to now do X. We first should reach out to somebody who knows this and has done this in the past before yeah. we do anything. How, how often yeah. does that happen? You know, in my experience, not that often. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's partly what goes into the decision, decision-making process will be what is the importance of what we're trying to achieve, you know, and how, how critical is that to the goals of the business? You know, the, the higher the criticality, mm-hmm. I think the more likely that's going to happen because the more... Um, the more likely to invest in some ex- outside help, you know, and I think the other question is how much do we perceive internally the gap is between what we know and what we think we should know. 
Hmm. You know, and if they think that the gap is relatively small, then more often not, I'd say an organization is likely to kind of chance with their arm, if you know what I mean. Like they'll, they'll just take what they've got and they'll think that's good enough. But if there's um, kind of the self-awareness that there's a big gap and we, we don't know and we know that we don't know and we need that help, then again, more likely that they'll reach out. Um, I think that they've got to know that there's, before they even start a conversation to look outside, they probably have a good idea of the, an ROI, like a business case exists for them to do so. I hear this quite frequently that there are informal channels where multiple CIOs are part of a something even as mundane as a WhatsApp group mm-hmm. and and they talk and validate and get references of vendors and solutions and softwares and so on yeah. quite regularly and those yeah. are very vital inputs. I mean people have changed decisions based on inputs in these mm-hmm. communities because yeah. they really trust each other. Yeah. How, how big is this according to you? I think it's big and it's growing. You know, and I say that because um, most, most things that an organization buys, they don't buy it every single day. Right. You know, they'll be buying it once every three years or once every five years or, you know, whatever the time frame is. Right. And so you look at the ROI on having your own internal expertise in that. Most companies, and again, there's always those that are outliers, you know, the biggest companies in the world, they can afford to have somebody who's an expert in, in everything that they buy. Most, most companies can't, so they'll just have generalists. Those generalists don't have access to all the market insights and data to actually help them make those decisions. And that access, that data can be expensive. Um, and so I think it's just a natural way that the community comes together or a group of people come together to help each other when they don't have all the information. You know, and that may not be, tell me what your pricing is, you know, because all that kind of stuff is covered under confidentiality agreements, but it will be, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this. We're thinking about bringing these providers to talk to us about it. Um, where does that stack up? You know, what are some of the things we should be aware of? What are the pitfalls that you've come across? Those kind of things. Uh, what are some of the questions that we should be asking? Um, of a provider when we go down a, a bid process. Um, I think that, I mean, I think that's always existed, but it's usually existed in the confines of, um, you know, an, a, a conference, an in-person conference. Now technology just makes it so much easier for everybody. Like you say, whether it's a WhatsApp group, whether it's an online community, whether it's a group on LinkedIn, you know, whatever it is, you can now get so many people from such diverse backgrounds all coming together really easily to exchange information. I think that's only going to get stronger. There are these customer review sites, right? Like G2 or a Captain. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so do, how do these fit in? What, what, how, what do you see there? Yeah, I think that, um, and, and maybe somebody will listen to this and tell me that, you know, my opinion is wrong. Um, you know, which would be the first time. But my opinion of that is that that it's very useful for um, an immature procurement organization or where they don't have uh, a lot of insights or information or for smaller companies, you know, smaller companies who are going and buying these things for the first time. I think that those things are useful. Um, I think it serves more as kind of a confirmation bias. 
Um, so it's like we've made our decision. Now we're going to go to G2 and see what G2 says. And if it says great, then we can go and say, hey, I made my decision partly because it says it's great here and it's really well peer reviewed. And if it says not so good, then it will be, yeah, well, there's probably just lots of dissatisfied users for their own problems. It's not really the software. Um, so for, for most of the organizations that are larger, I would say they use it. If it's a good review, they'll kind of, they may cite it. But if there's a bad review, they probably just ignore it. When you're looking at organization, so there is this procurement person, and, and you have mentioned the buyer, the, the stakeholder, yeah. uh, so to say. And, uh, and we all talk about the buying committee today, right? So there is a, yeah. the CFO is part of that, possibly the CIO is part of that, depending on what you're buying, uh, mm -hmm. or your head of plant or manufacturing is part of yeah. that. So if you're, if you're setting up a plant and so on, uh, or, or all of them are, because there'll be technology involved in all of that. Is there a sort of equation as to who actually calls the shot according to what you see? Um, I think the the strategic importance of the purchase to the business is, um, you know, that that and spend are the two things that define kind of how broad a, a, a buying committee, a purchasing committee will be. You know, if you think about you buying something that's relatively small um, from a financial sense, then it's probably the, the line of business and maybe even procurement are involved in, um, in making those decisions. Um, and then the, more, the bigger the spend, the more important it gets, the broader that you, uh, you open that up. At the end of the day, from a procurement perspective, you know, procurement doesn't spend any money. It's all somebody else's, some other budget holder's money. So, you know, the, the best procurement organizations who are really well trusted and respected can heavily influence a decision. The worst, do nothing but you know sign the contract um so in the vast majority of cases it's it's certainly the the business owner um and then where that fits in terms of the chain of command is relative to what their approval authority is or strategic importance like i said um procurement play a transactional in the worst case uh, and uh, have, have a heavy influence in the best case it's time for a short break as we went into the break, I drew parallel with the CIO role getting to the CXO table as the Y2K challenge became apparent and the fact that some believe that it is time now for the CPO to get to the head table. I asked Philip what he thought about this point of view. We will continue after the break. Stay with us. You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at biz. C-A-S-T dot I-N Business Podcast Network Podcasts end to end Welcome back. I'm Shubhanjan Sarkar, your host and founder of Pitchlink, the buyer-seller engagement platform. Right before the break, I asked Philip whether he believes that like the CIOs did in the late 90s, it is time for the CPO to claim her seat at the CXO table. Listen in. 20 years back, the CIO I mean, this is prior to Y2K. That's when the CIO yeah. came into prominence all over the world. And the CIO became part of the CXO table, mm -hmm. right? Before that, they were not, I mean, they were 
technical technology heads or something like that this whole coinage of of the c uh, role came up when that that sort of manifested itself or the importance of mm-hmm. that and so on so there is a thought that now the time for the cpo yeah. to find the place in the head table yeah. right yeah how how do you see that playing out today so it's one of those things that um it's a little bit of a pet peeve that i have of when i hear procurement folks talking about this desire to have a seat at the table because it's almost like that's the end goal um, one of the things that we struggle with in procurement is, and we did a survey of this, we had an event back in October of last year, and we surveyed our community and asked them what their challenges were. The number one challenge that came up was the negative perception of procurement that they face every day. So it's like, almost like this desire to be loved, you know, and sitting at the, getting a seat at the table is the, the, the KPI, if you will, for whether a procurement organization is loved, loved or respected. Um, you know, I think that procurement plays in a lot of companies an ever-increasing role, uh, an ever-important role, ever-more important role, because more organizations are using suppliers for more and more things. You know, as you think about that make versus buy, a lot more are buying than making. It's just yeah. the nature of kind of where organizations are going. Um, but the role that procurement can play is is very different from organization to organization based on the culture of the company, what they need from procurement, what the technical specificity um, is of what's being bought, which means you don't necessarily have to strive to have the seat at the table to have an impact. Um, so I always encourage people to think about, you know, how can you have an impact on the goals of the business and where, you know, don't, don't worry about where you need to sit to make that happen. Um, but generally I see procurement being talked about, um, as as a as a closer partner, when you when you take a thirty five thousand foot level of where procurement as a profession is going, the the challenge that procurement has is that it's kind of like this uh, like a business cycle. You know, as you think about the business cycle, there's times in the business cycle when cost pressures are higher than there are other times in the business cycle. So procurement typically gets this seat at the table when cost pressures are high and they need somebody to come in and beat up the suppliers or get creative to reduce cost or whatever it is. And then when a business changes its cycle and goes into more of a growth mode, procurement gets put off back in the box, so to speak, uh, waiting to be brought back out of the box again when there's cost pressure. So for procurement to truly kind of keep that relevance, they have to break away from being perceived as just a cost cutter. The wisdom that I hear is that the original role of procurement was to actually beat down the price. So I'm I'm a bit surprised to hear from you that it's still the case in many, many scenarios. Yeah, I think that um, most uh, procurement organizations, again, we kind of surveyed our community on uh, procurement maturity. Most would say that they're in a spot where in some areas of spend, they're what they would consider to be more strategic, <clears throat> excuse me, but in a lot of areas of spend, they're still, you know, it's still a more traditional approach. Um, and I th- one of the challenge, one of the difficulties for procurement is that, like you said, you know, this perception of procurement as being the cost cutter, it's something that we created for ourselves. 
So, you know, when you think about, you look back 20 years and kind of the professionalization of the procurement uh, function, if you will, um, in most companies, people are trying to get fight for investment funds to invest in procurement. And so selling that investment internally on an ROI based on savings was an easy sell. Because they'll just say, especially when nobody had really strategically looked at purchases before, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, you know, if you just apply traditional procurement process to it. So they'll make the business case, you know, if you invest a million dollars in helping in a procurement team, I'll deliver you $5 million in savings. And so that became the only thing that people saw that procurement would do because that's what we built our business case on. And so now we've professionalized and they've got, we've got all this investment in procurement. It's hard now to take a step back and say, well, you know that you made the investment in procurement based on the cost savings that we could drive. Well, actually, these are all the other things that we can do. And actually, all these other things have a greater impact on the business. But, you know, the CFO says, well, but you're just a cost cutter, you know, because that's what you sold me the value proposition on. Or all these things are all nice. You know, you say you can create all this value in other ways. But, again, your ROI is based on cost savings. So, you know, you've got to make your cost savings before you can really think about these other things. And then you end up having conflict between what you as a procurement organization's goals are and what your business stakeholders' goals are. In many scenarios where, especially when you look at the, tech industry where the company buys tech and sells tech and there is nothing else that is being bought and sold. According to Gartner, a lot of these can be negotiated very, very well using AI. Maybe it's already happening in certain cases. Unless you have sort of lifted your game and and have become specialized and are Mm -hmm. in a position to sort of add value at a a level which is not cost-cutting. Yeah. Do you see a lot of procurement jobs actually going away? Uh, yes, to answer your question. You know, for, for me, the procurement team of the future is a lot smaller than the procurement team of today. Um, that procurement team of the future, is prob- if that is embraced, is uh, probably a lot more impactful than the procurement team of today because that t- procurement team of the future is a team of um, catalysts you know, they're making change happen. They're a team of architects. They're looking at what business problems and challenges are and figuring out how to use solutions in the supply base to uh, overcome those or even looking at opportunities. Um, and they're kind of consultants. They're consultants internally on how you can best leverage different suppliers in different scenarios and probably firefighting. You know, that's very different from the traditional, you know, I'm a procurement and I'm, procurement and I'm here to negotiate. And I'm here to create leverage. I mean, I really do think that a lot of traditional procurement skills are going away. Um, and if not going away, very much commoditized. Um, so those things that would make a procurement professional the top of their profession in the past, those things are not going to be that important. Um, and so it, it, we're moving away. Very. We'll see how long it takes from a time perspective, but we're absolutely moving away from what it, what it means to be a procurement professional, what the job is, and therefore what all the skills that you need are. You are talking to a lot of procurement professionals on your podcast yeah. and, uh, and in your community. What are the top concerns that you see they're talking of? Um, I think the top thing that I still hear, it's, it's kind of frustrating in a way because it's the same things that we've been talking about for 20 years, you know, that don't go away. Um, alignment. 
how do I don't have alignment with my business stakeholders. Um, I'm not agile enough. Like I can't move fast enough to support my business in what my business needs. Um, I don't have the technology that I really need um, to be able to scale good practice. And I don't have the data that will inform me to make good decisions. You know, those are probably the four key areas that, um, and, and I get frustrated when, when, so I was just reading a, a survey that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's like a procurement benchmark uh, health check survey uh, for a podcast I'm actually going to do in a couple of weeks here. And I think the number was something like only 9% of CPOs think they're truly aligned with their business. And that's staggering to me here in 2021 that, um, that that's still such a huge disconnect because that's the heart of everything. Like I, we, ha- we of course have to keep good tension with our stakeholders. You know, we're not here just to say yes to everything that they want, but the fact that we're still struggling to truly understand what it is a stakeholder group or a business needs and therefore change our value proposition. So we're providing that level of service is amazing to me that that's still where we are, but I mean, that's still where we are. Let's talk about art of procurement. How large mm-hmm. is the community? How did you get started with it? And yeah. uh, how, how, how has it grown? Yeah, so we have, um, you know, by the way that we track, we, we believe our community is about 15,000 strong. Um, and it's mostly those who um, are, are wanting to change procurement or change, again, I kind of said at the beginning, change the impact of procurement because that's really what we talk about. So I started out to procurement five and a half years ago. Um, you know, I'd been, like I said at the beginning, I'd been a practitioner, I'd been a consultant, I'd done a few things. Um, I was in an organization that had got bought by a large consultancy firm and, you know, I kind of stuck around for a couple of years after that. But I'd always had this desire to go and do something on my own. Um, and honestly, like when I started, my intent was to start a consultancy practice around procurement outsourcing because that's where I'd had a lot of experience, uh, most recent experience. Um, and I started the podcast on a little bit of a whim. You know, I thought, um, I know I'm a business owner. I need to get to know, I need people to get to know me, like me, trust me. Um, I don't necessarily like going and standing in front of stages. Uh, I don't particularly like going and saying hello to people that I don't know, you know, a bit of an introvert from that perspective. So maybe a podcast will help break the ice with people when, um, you know, I first get to know them, um, not knowing if anybody would ever listen, you know, and here we are six years later and it's kind of, um, it's really the heart of what we do now. So what we do now is, um, yeah, we've got the podcast, we have webinars, we write papers, we do all kinds of stuff from a content perspective because we want to inspire people to think differently about what they can. It's like, imagine the art of the possible It's kind of the content side, the community side that we have is more, okay, now, you've, now you understand and you can see the app, the possible, let's bring you together with a community of your peers to help you on that journey. And then the consulting side is, you need some one-on-one help, then you know we're here to help you. Um, so it's been a, it's a roller coaster. Like I think a lot of people starting off and, and, and setting up a small business and you kind of on a, um, you're on a constant discovery process to figure out what you're doing and where you're going and how to talk about what you do and all those good stuff. But yeah, we're six years in and things, um, things are going well so far. So what actually, I mean, one or two instances perhaps yeah. you can talk of where those specific uh, inputs actually 
helped you push your uh, idea forward? I think that the um, one of the the moments that pushed me to do it, um, and I may have said this earlier, uh, but I'm not sure if we talked about this off mic, was um, you know really seeing the the negative impact on outs- outsourcing had on folks, and I wanted to prepare them so that when technology came along, technolo- technological change came along, they were able to take advantage of that from a positive perspective rather than a negative one. With an organization, for example, there's an organization 18 months ago that I worked directly with um, who procurement was basically hated you know they were out of the door nobody trusted and respected them and so you know coming in and and working with a new leader on what transformation can look like and how to take a new mindset and how to help the team with that new mindset and just just fix small problems that created big issues it's relatively easy to turn things back around again you know, so six months later, they have an organization that's suddenly at the heart of everything that company is doing. It doesn't need to take, you know, three years, five years. You can see some really instant results just by doing some basic things. So uh, that's certainly where some of the, you know, where, where you get, where you, you're proud of some of the things that you're helping organizations do. That's a great note to end this chat. Uh, I, I just hope when sales folks uh, see this, they can either rejoice, thinking, okay, I'm, we are getting rid of these guys finally, mm-hmm. or they can see a reflection of what's likely to happen to their own roles within their yeah. own, own organizations. Yeah, you know, and I would say for sales folks, you know, the biggest thing to figure out is how what's the level of maturity of the procurement folks that you're dealing with on the other side, because, you know, don't treat procurement as a one-size-fits-all. You know, it's we have such an adverse adversarial relationship sometimes, yeah. um, and oftentimes that's deserved um, because it's just, you know, procurement folks are doing things that aren't helping anybody. Um, but most of the time, you know, if you can figure out if you're working with a, an organization that's open and willing to work and that's a, lot, a little bit more mature, a friend in procurement will help you go far. The Buyer Site Chat is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer seller engagement platform. Pitchlink enables high quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive, buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 650-847-5884. That is 650-847-5884. Philip, thank you very much. I enjoyed this chat. I hope you enjoyed it too. Absolutely. I really appreciate you inviting me on the show. Thank you very much. We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes featuring great conversations unraveling in depth how the real buyers buy. Stay tuned. Thank you for being with us today on the Buyer Side Chat. This is the podcast of record for the Buyer Side journey. And those who know, that's the journey that matters. We hope this conversation helped you with insights that you can go and apply right now to your own value transaction process. See you in the next episode of the Buyer Side Chat. 